stand and join me in reading the word. I will read from Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 26, and I will just read from verse 14 to 18. Acts 26, I will read from 14 to 16, and, excuse me, to 18, and we will pray. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the gods. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who, are, who have been sanctified by faith in me. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this morning. We thank you that you sent Jesus Christ who died on the cross so that we may be delivered from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. And that, Father, we may have the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in you. I pray this morning that for each one of us, you will speak to our hearts regarding our own role in sharing this same good news with others. May you, O Lord, be glorified this morning as your word is shared. Be honored in the midst of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. On December 4th, 1893, December 4th, 1893, that will be 120 years next year, three young men landed on the shores of Nigeria, landed in Lagos, Nigeria. One of them was aged 25, one was 22 years old, and the other one was, 20, one was 23, 22, and 25. These young men came from North America. Why were they there? The mother of one of those men had been praying for many years for the people in the, what was called then the Sudan. Uh, the Sudan at that time is not today's country of Sudan. In fact, at that time, the country of Sudan today was not called Sudan. It was called Upper Egypt or Lower Egypt, or one of those. The Sudan was the grassland of Africa that stretched from the west coast to the east coast. That was what was called the Sudan. So if you study the vegetation of Africa today, that area is still called the Sudan savanna. But at that time, between that stretch of land, about 60 to 90 million people lived there, most of them Muslim, many of them animists, with no gospel witness at all. And this man had been praying 
that God will send them to this part of the world with no gospel witness. And eventually, they were able to leave. One of them was from here in the US. One was from, two from Canada. But the two from Canada, one of them, the 22-year-old, had just immigrated to Canada at the age of 16. And the mother of the Canadian recruited him to join his son and his friend to go to the Sudan. When they arrived in Lagos, there were already some mission work going on in the coasts of most coasts in Africa, particularly in Nigeria, it was so. And one of the missionaries, who was the bishop of the Methodist Church in Lagos, met with them and said to them, young men, let me tell you this, and this is a quote recorded. You will not see the Sudan. Your children will not see the Sudan. And perhaps your children's children will see the Sudan. Because at that time, that part of Africa was considered the white man's grave. Because of malaria, dysentery, and all kinds of diseases that at that time, there were no medicine to treat. So he told them, I mean, Think of starting your missionary career. And the veterinary missionary that was there that knows the place tells you you will never get where you're going. That was how they started their career. And true to this man's word, within one and a half years, two of them were dead. The 25 years old, Gowan was dead. The 23 years old, Kent, was then dead. And it, uh, Bingham alone, Roland Bingham alone, was left behind. And perhaps the reason he was left behind was because he took ill earlier and was left in Lagos to recover. The others went inland, and they both lost their lives to diseases. Bingham was evacuated back to North America, back to Canada. He was treated. He recovered from his illness. He went back. The second time, he didn't succeed. It took the third time for them to actually establish a base in the interior, but they never gave up. And when you look at the effort this man made and those who followed them, it was said that within the first seven years of SIM's ministry in Nigeria, there were more missionary graves than there were converts, but they never gave up. And today, that effort in Nigeria has resulted in a church of over six million people. And today, I'm standing before you because of them. I'm here today because they never gave up. Because I came to the Lord through the ministry that they started. Yes, they paid with their lives, but it was never a waste. And this morning, I want us to reflect on that. And the title I've given to this message is Appointed as a Minister and a Witness. Appointed as a Minister and a Witness. What did those three young men saw that we moved them to the point of laying down their own lives? What did Paul saw that led him to the point of laying down his life for the gospel.
this story of in Acts 26, just as a background to what was happening here, Paul had gone out as a missionary commissioned by the Antioch church. And he had gone twice, three times. At the end of the, his third missionary journey, he went back to Jerusalem. And we all know from reading the book of Acts that on his way to Jerusalem, he was warned many times that he should not go back to Jerusalem because imprisonment awaited him. And he said, well, you know, if that's what the Lord wants for me, let the will of the Lord be done. When he got to Jerusalem, the elders, including James, got him, uh, told him, look, this is the situation. You will be in trouble in this city. But they got him to purify himself according to the law of Moses and do all that was required by the law. And in the process of doing that, you know, he went into the temple and some of the Asian Jews who were in Jerusalem stirred up trouble. They said, oh, we know this man. He has been preaching against the law. Plus, they had seen some of the Greek converts in Jerusalem with him, people like uh, uh, Trophimus, and they thought because that they, he had brought those people into the temple, even though he had not. Uh, a riot broke out. Paul was arrested. And uh, the commander of the military, the, the Roman army in Jerusalem saved him from the crowd, took him from them, and he sought to talk to this crowd and to say to them, look, I have not been preaching against the law. And if you remember that story, when he started sharing with them in Hebrew, they all kept quiet and listened to him. But when he got to the point of saying he saw Jesus and he commissioned him to take the gospel to the Gentiles, riot broke out again because they did not want to hear that idea. How can you take the gospel to the Gentiles? And uh, he was taken in by the commander. He was eventually taken by the commander, sent on to Caesarea to Felix, who was the governor at that time, because they understood that the, the Jews, were, Jews were plotting to kill him. About 40 men had taken a vow that they were not going to eat until they had been able to kill Paul, who was formerly Saul. And Paul had been in prison for two years in Caesarea because Felix was hoping that he was going to get a bribe. And now transfer had come. Felix was leaving. Festus was taking over as governor. Felix transferred the case from himself to Festus. And uh, Festus was trying to find out what was going on. He had had the case. He didn't see anything for which he could imprison Paul. But he couldn't release Paul either because Paul had earlier on appealed to Caesar where he appeared before Felix. And now King Agrippa was visiting with Benes, his, his uh, wife. And Fe Festus now invited them to listen to Paul and to tell him if there's anything he could write in a letter of referral for transferring Paul from Caesarea to Rome. So this was the event, this was the, this, the context in which this uh, passage was written. And in that passage, if you read from the beginning, Paul appeared before Agrippa and Benis and Festus as well, and in verse 4, Paul started by telling the people who he was, before his encounter with Christ. Who he was before his encounter with Christ. And in fact, he, said, he started by saying, so then, all Jews know my manner of life. Look, Festus, the Jews in this city, in the city of Jerusalem and all around, knew who I was. He went on to say that he was a Pharisee, and I said in, a, in verse, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse five, 
I'm a Pharisee, that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. Paul belonged to what would be today the equivalent of the most conservative Pharisees. I mean, these were the people who held the law as the law. This would be the equivalent of our own theological conservatives of today. And when the Lord Jesus died and rose again, and the church was bathed, the church came into being, Paul, because of his theological conviction, was one of those who chose to persecute the church the most. He was committed to eradicating this new way because according in Paul's thinking, it did not fit. These people don't fit his theological construction of what the law had said. And so he went on in verse 9, he said, So then, I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus, Christ of, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. There was something striking in that passage to me. Often we, 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 we know that Paul was present at the stoning of Stephen. In fact, the Bible tells us that the young men who stoned Stephen dropped their garment at the foot of Paul. Where there he was sore. But what I had not processed was that in, va- in fact, in the death of others, Paul also casted his vote against them. Because if you look at that passage, he said, he said that I casted my vote against these saints. It wasn't just Stephen that he participated in his death. He participated in the death of others. And at the point when Jesus met him, he was actually going to Damascus so that he can bring some other saints in prison to Jerusalem. This man was committed. He was committed. But he was committed to the wrong purpose for the wrong reasons. I came to the Lord at the age of 18. But before I came to the Lord, I had been in church. I was actually very, very active in church. I was in choir. I did Bible Bible knowledge in school. I knew the Bible. I mean, I... I never had less than A in Bible knowledge, okay? And if you talk to me about the Bible, I can quote the verses. I knew the Bible, but I did not know the Jesus of the Bible. I knew the Jesus of my religion. Christianity was a religion to me, but it was not a life-changing relationship with the living God in a way. I was like Paul. That transforming power of the gospel had not happened in my life. The Bible was a knowledge to me. And the understanding of the truth was not there. And it was the understanding of that truth that leads to wisdom. And it is when the word of God becomes wisdom to us that it transforms our lives. Paul knew the word of God. He knew the law. 
But he had not understood the law as the Lord God himself intended it. So the word of God was yet to be wisdom to him so that his life could be transformed through it. And perhaps like me, maybe there are some of us here who are yet to allow this word to become wisdom to us. And we question everything. You know, I feel today that sometimes we serve a God that we make in our own image. A God who must not allow hurricanes or allow tornadoes or allow people to die or allow cancer or allow anything else that we don't like and who has to answer every prayer and do things the way we want it and must not send us to the places we don't want to go. A God that we control. But that's a God we have made in our own image, not the God who made us in his own image. You see, Paul knew the Bible of the time. He knew the Old Testament. He said, I, you know, I knew. I'm, I belong to the, the most conservative group. But Paul missed it. Even though the Old Testament was talking about Christ, when Christ showed up, Paul missed it. He missed who he was. Then he encountered that Jesus on his way to Damascus. But you know, the amazing thing to me was Paul's initial response in Acts chapter, chapter 26 and verse 15. And he said, and I said, who are you, Lord? That phrase never ceased to intrigue me. Who are you, Lord? If Paul knew that, knows that that was the Lord, why did he ask, who are you? Who are you, Lord? How often do we ask that question? When something comes to us, that's not agreeable with us, but it's the word of God. How often do we ask, who are you, Lord? I have my plans. You see, when I came to the Lord, when I eventually understood the gospel, the day I understood the gravity of my sinfulness and the lostness that characterized my, my life and the fact I was dead, insane, and Jesus died on the cross for me, that he shed his blood for my sins, and that he rose again to give me life. When I came to understand that gospel, I went on my knees in tears, and I asked him to forgive my sins and come into my life. But I also said to him, I said, I don't want you to just save my life. I said, I want you to take my life and use it as you please. In a moment of true gratitude. But a couple of years later, when I was in medical school and I was praying why God has sent me to medical school in spite, in fact, in spite of the fact that I never want to be a doctor. <laughs> I didn't want to be a doctor and I prayed for months and I, I was totally convinced that the Lord was leading me into medical school. I got into medical school and I was like, who wants to be here? I don't want to be here. I started praying, and the Lord was speaking to my heart about mission. The Lord started challenging me like he challenged Paul. I have appointed you a minister and a witness. 
I'm calling you to mission. I told the Lord, I said, you can't be right, God. In fact, I remember that day in church, the person who was speaking was speaking about mission. And I told God, I said, no, Lord, I can't be a missionary. You know, you got it all wrong. I can't be a missionary. We don't do those kind of things. We receive missionaries. We don't send missionaries, God. You know, that, you know like, I, I understood what my life should look like, and I understood my, my own plan for my life. I mean, it, God was getting it wrong. I got it right. <laughs> Appointed as a minister and a witness. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which you have, which the things which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Appointed as a witness and a minister. You know, in the Old Testament, God chose the people of Israel as his people that he has appointed as his minister and his witness. In the book of Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 to 6, God said to them, you are my own peculiar people, my chosen nation, a royal priesthood. And that peculiar people means my own possession. And in Isaiah 43, 10 to 13, he said, you are my witnesses and my servants whom I have chosen. Actually, the word minister also means servant. It's the same word. The same thing God said to the Israelites, God was saying to Paul, and God says to the church in Acts 1.8, he said, you shall be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit comes on you. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you shall be what? My witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the utmost part of the world. And today, God is saying to each one of you, you are my witnesses. What other witnesses can he get? And perhaps, like me, you will say, Lord, you, you missed it. You, don't, you missed it. I, I, I'm, I'm not just one of those people. I, I, can't, I can't share the gospel. I don't know how to preach. You know, that's Pastor Kevin's job. No, he didn't ask you to preach. He's asking you to be a witness. He wants your life to testify that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that the gospel transforms lives. That is the witness of Christ. That's what he's calling us to do. That's what he's appointing each one of us to do. He's appointed his church because in, in 1 Peter 2, 9, the same word he used for the Israelites where he said, you are my peculiar people, a chosen nation, a royal priesthood. He said the same thing about the church in 1 Peter 2, 9. And he says the same thing about you. Will you be his witness? You might say, well, you know, my, my circumstances, I, I can't go to Guatemala. He's not saying you have to go to Guatemala. He saying you have neighbors to whom he wants you to witness. He's saying that at work, you can be the light in your workplace. 
You can be the light in your school. They might tell you you can't pray with students. Your life can pray with students. Your life can witness to those students. And they can begin to say, you know, this teacher, he's so different. I don't know what, what is it, but I want to know. You are his witnesses. He has appointed you as a minister and a witness. And you can either say to him, who are you, Lord? Or this week of mission, you could get on your knees and say, Lord, what will you have me do? A witness in Damascus, in your immediate environment, in Jerusalem, all around you, in Judea, and to the utmost part of the earth. I have appointed you a minister and a witness. Let's get together to pray. Thank you.